So today we come to Genesis chapter 41. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles or your phone apps up there. <laughs> In chapter 40, Joseph had interpreted the dreams of the baker and the butler. He had asked the butler to remember him when he was restored to his previous position in the Pharaoh's palace. But the butler did not immediately remember Joseph. And picking it up now in verse 1 of chapter 41, it says, Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and he called for all the magicians of, the, of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged me. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, or excuse me, and he hanged him. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. Okay, so we see here that two years have now gone by since Joseph had interpreted the dreams of the baker and the butler. He had asked the butler to remember him when, when he had gotten back into the king's palace, and I guess you could say that the butler did indeed remember Joseph, but I'm sure that Joseph was hoping that this would happen right away and not two years later. I'm sure that Joseph's expectation was that the butler was going to remember him right away. But Joseph had to spend two more years in prison before his name would be mentioned before Pharaoh. But keep in mind that what we're studying and what we're seeing in the life of Joseph is that this is God's timing taking place in Joseph's life. And God's timing is always perfect. Well, you hear people say that anyway, don't you? God's timing is always perfect. But it never seems that way to us, does it? In our way of thinking today, we want something to be done in our lives. We want it to be done now, 
right? We want it done quickly. We want what we want and we want it now, right? This is what we're used to. But the problem with that is that when we make something happen in our timing, all too often it's our will that is being done and not God's will that is being done. You see, God's plan for Joseph was that he was to be in the second highest position in the land of Egypt under Pharaoh. But this is what it took to get there. It took what we've been reading about in Joseph's life, right? Heartache, disappointment, and discouragement. But come what may for Joseph, he continued to stay the course as a servant of God. You see, in the physical sense, the earthly realm, Joseph was a servant of man. That was the the reality of his life here on this earth. He was a servant of man. But in his heart, he wasn't. In his heart, Joseph was a servant of God. And God was making something great of Joseph's life. Even in the earthly realm, God would use Joseph for greatness. And we'll see that as we continue on with the story. But it was who Joseph was determined to be on the inside. The man that he was in his heart. This is what kept him on the course to the greatness of God and to the plan that God had prepared for him. It was who Joseph was on the inside, not who he was or what he did on the outside. And, you know, the finer things of life take time. They take perseverance. And it is all too often the, the, the road less traveled, the road that says, I'm going to take the long way. I'm going to take the slow way. I'm going to take the steady way. I'm going to take God's way. Today, people want to be on the fast track. And as I talk about this, you can imagine in your own head many different things in your own life that you might want and you want it now. And there are certain things and certain maybe even goals or dreams you might call and whatever you have that you might say, well, I want to get here and I want to get here quick. But that's not often God's way, right? Again, people, though, today we tend to want what we want and we want it now. It's a, and, and, and in reality, it's a, a track of a path of selfishness, right? It's a path of self-centeredness. You see, with our carnal minds, right, we can paint an image of what we would call our dreams or our goals. We can paint that image inside of our head, inside of our, using our imagination, And for several decades now, this has been the focus of the people of the earth, right? Just just look at all the slogans that the companies of this world throw at us in advertising. Slogans like, just do it, have it your way, right? These type of slogans, right? And these type of slogans, they want to conform us into being a a narcissistic society, right? where it's all about us and and we're just focused on us. You know, I just sat in our community jacuzzi on this past Friday night and I met a couple of young men from New Zealand. Zealand. They were here uh, playing rugby on a scholarship for a, a local high school, which I didn't even know that there was any high schools that had rugby teams in, in, in the United States at all. But I asked them, though, what they thought of America. 
And they said they loved it. The, the land is beautiful, they said. It's so wide open, so big. They said everything is far more cheaper here than it is over in New Zealand, which I was kind of shocked at, but they said, yeah, it was. And all, all they've seen so far is Arizona. But they said they loved it and the land is beautiful and all that. But I said, I asked them, I said, well, what about the people of America? What do you think about Americans? And they kind of looked at each other and they kind of hesitated. But then they said that, the people here are so focused on their image. He said, that's strange to us. They're focused on themselves and how they appear to others. He said, in New Zealand, it's not that way. He said, everybody's just kind of chill, he said, and we don't really care what we look like or anything like that. But everybody here is so focused on their image. Now, of course, they're around a bunch of high school kids, but that carries on over into the adults uh, in this country as well. And I'm sure that it's not just Americans that are like this. Um, and I'm also sure that not all of Americans are like that, but it is the way of this world system. This world wants you to conform to being all about yourself and your image and how you portray yourself and how you look to others, right? To be all that you can be with the emphasis being on you, to chase hard after your dreams, with the emphasis being on you. And you see, if you remember, this man Joseph had a dream, a dream while he slept. It, it was God, however, that gave him that dream. And the road to the fulfillment of that dream for Joseph was not a road that had he had a choice Joseph would have chosen. He wouldn't have said, well, this is the way I'm going to get there. This is the dream and, and this is how it's going to be fulfilled. But yet, yeah, that's what a lot of people do today. They say, this is my dream or my goal or my whatever, and this is what I'm going to do to get there, right? And they leave God out of the equation or God's will out of it. And we see with Joseph, somebody whose life didn't take that kind of path that, that we would imagine for our own goals or our own dreams or whatever we're trying to achieve in life. A few moments ago, I said that the finer things of, of life take time. Well, they also take humility, right? Humbling yourself to the point of realizing that this life is not all about you and your dreams. It's not all about your goals. It's not all about your bucket list. But yet we've become so focused on that. The finer things in life come when you are first surrendered to being a servant of the Most High God, your Creator. And you then begin to live a life where you understand, as John the Baptist understood, that he must, speaking of Jesus, John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. You see, Jesus, when he walked on this earth, he showed us how to live. He showed us how to love. And none of that ever included being self-centered. None of it ever included being self-focused or it being all about us. A matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. The life that God calls us to and the life that the Word leads us to is a life of dying to oneself, taking up the cross and following after Jesus. Right? In other words, living in the way that He lived. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We follow in the ways that He lived. We follow in the ways that He told us to live and we see in His Word. 
You see, your relationship with other people in general, your, your relationship with your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, your business relationships, all relationships, they all become so much finer when it's not all about you. And it's not all about you getting what you want and when you want it and the way you want it, right? But this way of life, the way I'm talking about, is not common in our world today. It's uncommon. That's why the Lord says we're not of this world when we live in this fashion and when we live in this way. But nonetheless, it is the way of God. And it should be the way of those that claim to be followers of God our Lord God, Jesus Christ. Let me take, take you for a little while here to the New Testament book of James. Go ahead and turn toward the back of your Bible to James chapter 4. These are familiar passages of Scripture from which I often quote, actually. But it's important that we be reminded of these things from time to time. And in James chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Right? So what are these scriptures getting at here? What do they speak of? Again, they, they speak of that narcissistic person, the self-centered person. Those that live life in a way that they are simply out to get what they want. And that's the way they go about the business of life, their everyday life. They wake up thinking about them and they spend the whole day thinking about them, themselves that is, right? They might even take time to pray about what they want and to ask God for what they want. But their heart is in the wrong place because it's all about them. They want what they want simply because it is what they want, never stopping to ask God if it's what He wants for them. And what is His will for, for you and me, for our lives? The Scriptures here continue in verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So let's pause right here and, and the question, right, and ask a question. Why would this type of person be referred to as an adulterer or an adulteress? Well, it's because God wants this person focused on only him in a perfect union with and, and in a committed union with Him and Him alone. You die to all else. You're completely sold out to Him. And you seek Him before all else. Right? If not, you're kind of cheating on God 
and you're committing adultery in that sense. And you're cheating on God and you're turning your affections and your, your love in a different direction, even if it's on yourself and your own desires, right? It is the devil that wants you distracted from this kind of relationship with God. And verse 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And all of that where James says lament and mourn and weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy turned to gloom. It's his way of expressing just that one thing that he says there in verse 10. Humble yourself. Lower yourself. It's not about you. Humble yourself in the, light of, in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Again, this is the road less traveled. This is the path that people don't really choose to walk down in this world. It's not the way of our society. It's not the way that our, our advertising and billboards and commercials and everything is leading us to. The music that is written and all of that, it leads you to be all about you, all about yourself, all about what you get, all about what you obtain, your goals, your dreams, your bucket list. Check it all off. Fulfill it. But what about God? Right? How many people do, do you see walking this kind of path through this life that I'm talking about. Many people listening to me right now across the world via the internet are thinking, forget this kind of stuff. I'm getting what I want out of this life. I'm going for broke. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry in my own way. I'm going to train up my children to be all that they can be in this life, to get all that they can get in this life. I'm going to work like a fiend so that I can... Retire with my dreams. But God doesn't call us to that. God calls us to humility. To become less so that He can make more out of us. As we see in the life of Joseph. I want to read that again from my notes here to you. That God calls us to humility. To become less so that He can make more out of us. That's what people don't get. The more we humble ourselves, the more we lower ourselves, God will lift us up. Humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift us up. We will rise to greater heights and we will, we will rise to the place where God wants us to be in this life only when we commit to Him and we're surrendered to that and we die to ourselves and we humble ourselves and it's not about our bucket list. That's all the rage nowadays, isn't it? Your bucket list and all of that. Like I said, for several, several years now, I don't know how many years, a couple hundred years maybe you can go back and say it's been all about achieving great things and being all you can be and getting all you can, right? But it's not the way of the Word. I know it is the way of the world. But we're not called to the way of the world. We're called to the way of the Word. The self-centered person is the person that walks around putting others down because it somehow makes them feel greater. It somehow makes them achieve more if they can step on the next guy, climb the ladder to success and push others down while they get there, right? But verse 11 here goes on to tell us, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. 
He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? So think about your own life as we read these scriptures here. Do you walk around speaking poorly of others? Do you speak down of others when they don't give you what you want, when you want, and the way you want it? Right? we got to be careful what comes out of our mouth and how we deal with people. God is the only judge and He doesn't need our opinions about others. He doesn't want us to be putting others down and dealing with each other in that way. You see, the person that is and is not submitted to God is described in these next verses here, starting in verse 13. We'll see the person that is and is not submitted to God. Verse 13, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So you see, doing good begins with submitting your life entirely to God, surrendering your will to His will, making your plans based on His will and not your own will. See, it is arrogant for a person that claims to be the follower of the Lord God to live life in their own way without seeking the Lord. We need to seek the will of God through the Word of God and through prayer. But you will never find the will of God until you first die to your own will. We will never find the will of God unless we die to ourselves. And we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and we allow Him to lift us up. And as we flip back now to Genesis chapter 41, this is what the life of Joseph exemplifies for you and me. Joseph was a servant of God that eventually got to the place of God's will for his life, but the road traveled to get there, the path that he had to take did not include his will being done. It wasn't done his way, nor was it done the way that any of us would have liked it to be done if we would have put ourselves in Joseph's shoes, right? And I hope that this sinks into to our hearts here this morning because it is of the utmost importance that a follower of the Most High God understands that it all begins with humility. We have to lay our lives down. It goes even beyond that where the Scripture says that we need to take up our cross how often? It says daily, right? We take up the cross daily. Every day we die to ourselves. Every day we say, this is your, the, the earth is yours, Lord, and the fullness thereof. I'm seeking you. What is your will for my life? Joseph has now finally been remembered by the butler. The butler that he had asked to remember him two years ago. But Joseph is now before Pharaoh. It's in God's timing. And down in verse 15 it says, 
And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So notice, notice the response of Joseph there, right? It is a response from a heart of humility. He remembered to mention and to honor his God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of his father, Jacob. Joseph, when in front of royalty, made sure that he first acknowledged God. Doesn't matter who he was before or who he was standing before. The most powerful man in all the land, it didn't matter. He mentions, it's not me, it's God. Interpreting dreams, Joseph understood, was not his doing, it was God's doing. Anything that we achieve in this life, any accomplishment that we may have in this life, if it's not God's doing, then it's not worth doing at all. We must always remember to honor our God. He is a jealous God. He's jealous for us with a love that is never failing. He wants our undevoted attention, right? Our undivided attention, right? He wants us devoted to Him. He wants what is best for us. And what is best for us is to submit wholeheartedly to His will. He knows this. And you know, just a quick side note here. A marriage between a man and a woman is representative of a relationship with God. You can read Ephesians chapter 5 to understand why I say this. But I bring this up because, again, we, we saw where in James the, the person was called an adulterer or an adulteress who didn't seek the will of God. Okay? So and in, in a relationship in a marriage, that marriage is a representative of, of a relationship with God with the husband being the head of the wife and the wife being submitted to the husband, the husband being submitted and committed to God, right? So when we think about adultery, we, th- we can think about it in our modern day terms as it relates to marriage, but when we trans- you know, transfer this over to what the Lord is talking about, how He wants our, you know, our, all of our hearts committed to Him, we can understand that He has a plan and He has, a, he has something for our lives and He, he, he loves us greatly and he's jealous for us and he wants us to seek him above all else but joseph here again he's now before pharaoh and verse 17 continues and says then pharaoh said to joseph behold in my dream i stood on the bank of the river suddenly seven cows came up out of the river fine looking and fat and they fed in the meadow then behold seven other cows came up after them poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also, I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered, thin and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them, and the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. 
The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Okay, so all of that is pretty cut and dry, right? You can dig deeper into all those scriptures in your own personal study time. But Joseph is bold here, and he's unafraid to give Pharaoh both the bad and the good interpretation of the dream. He might have been hesitant to say, man, do I want to tell him the bad part of this dream? Do I really want to tell that to the Pharaoh? What might happen to me? But Joseph is bold, right? And David... King David said in Psalm 118, 6, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And this is the boldness in which Joseph interprets these dreams here. And now Joseph is going to be even more bold and give Pharaoh some instruction here. And he says in verse 33, Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and a wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. Okay, so you see what they're doing? They're saving up. We're we're having this time of abundance. Let's put some aside. But if you pause right here and you think about verses 33 and 34 there, Joseph is going beyond just interpreting the dream at that point here. Pharaoh didn't ask Joseph for advice on how to administrate his kingdom. But the fact of the matter here is that Joseph is the wise man that Pharaoh needs for this job. And Joseph has now risen to the place where God has called him to be. Everything about Joseph's past, everything that he's been to, is all come to this point point here. And this is the place where he can be be bold. Because God is for him, and he knows it. Right? Joseph had a life that made him humble. And he also made the choice to be humble. You see, when life knocks you down, you need not pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and stand tall and proud. This is the world's mentality that would tell you to do that. Instead, what you need to do is humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Do you see how that's so opposite from what the world teaches us? Come on, man, get up. You can do it. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You know, be your own man. You can do it. Achieve great things. Go out there. Go, to, go do this. Go do that. You know, achieve, do all this, right? But that's the opposite of what we see in Scripture. What we see in Scripture is humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. And that's what we see in Joseph's life. 
This is what happened. Humility came in Joseph's life. But now he's standing before greatness. And now God is going to use him in a great way. Verse 35, Joseph continues to instruct Pharaoh here. And let them gather all the food of of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? So you have to pause right there because what an awesome question this is that Pharaoh asks. Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Is that where you want your life to be? Do you want people to see the Spirit of God in you? Well, it's the road, it's the kind of road that Joseph traveled that gets you there. It's a road of surrender, a road of obedience, a road of commitment, a road of self-sacrifice, a, ro- a road that on which you need to resist the devil. You need to resist being proud. You need to resist being arrogant. You need to resist it being all about you. Resisting the world's mentality of doing it my way, right? Have it your way. Be all that you can be. It's not what the Bible teaches us. It's not what it's about. Resist all of that and instead seek God and you will see and others will see the Spirit of God in you. And you'll rise to the place where God wants you to be in His timing, when He wants you to be there. And when you get there, people will say, the Spirit of God has done this. This man has gotten here, this woman has gotten here by following God, by being a servant of God. Verse 39, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all of this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around around his neck. And he had him ride in a second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. So again, something else that jumps out to me here in those verses is that we see a portrait of Jesus in Joseph. Second in the Godhead, but first in command. And every knee must bow to Jesus today. He is Lord of all. The earth is His and the fullness thereof. In order for this world to see the Spirit of God in you, 
you must humble yourself before Jesus. Surrender your your life entirely to Him. Drop the dreams of your imagination and seek the Lord of all creation. This is the portrait that the life of Joseph paints for us. Verse 45 continues, And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zepnath-Paneah, and he gave him as a wife Asnath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt, and he laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asnath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So pause right there for a moment because even in the naming of his children, Joseph honored the Lord God. In the name of his first son, Manasseh, Joseph expresses that his past is his past and it's all behind him now. And in the naming of his second son, Ephraim, Joseph remembers that all the increase that God gave him, you know, Joseph remembers all that increase that God gave him, even though his life wasn't on easy street, even though it wasn't the way he planned, the way he thought it would all work out, right? And it is a good example for us to honor the Lord in every detail of our lives, to remember the Lord in every detail, in everything we do. Verse 53, Then the seven years of plenty, which were in the land of Egypt, ended. And the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, the famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. You know, just real quickly here, something else pops into my mind here. Um, In the Gospel of John, chapter 2, Jesus was um, invited to a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And his mother Mary was like the coordinator of that wedding. And they ran out of wine there. And they didn't know what to do. So Mary came to Jesus and then... Mary told the servants at the wedding to listen to whatever Jesus said and do whatever Jesus said to do. 
And of course, the first miracle by Jesus was performed at that wedding where he turned the water into wine. But again, just another comparison we can draw from the life of Joseph. God had elevated him to a place that was above everyone else. And he was a wise man in the land of his captivity. And for us, we look to Jesus today. And whatever he says to do, that's what we do. Whatever he says in his word, however he lived, that's how we live right? Don't forget the point here or the fact here that Joseph is away from his family right now. He did not come to the land of Egypt by choice, but nonetheless, it was the will of God that he was to be there. It was God's will for him to be there. Do you ever stop and think that when life hands you a set of circumstances that you may not be choosing those circumstances for your life right now, but that God can be working out His will in your life through those circumstances. It may not be where you want to be or where your desires are, your dreams, your goals, your plans, but God may be working out His plans, His will, His dream for your life in those circumstances. This too is what we learn from the life of Joseph. Verse 56, the famine was over all the face of the earth and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. So, wow, look where Joseph's life has gone from the pit that he was thrown into by his brothers. He was hated by them to where he is now, right? So do you see how it works out when it's God's will being done and not our will being done? You will see and others will see the Spirit of God in you only when you surrender to His will being done and not your will being done. Resist what the devil, the God of this present age, presents to you. Don't go in the way of the world. Live in the way of the Word. Walk through this life committed and submitted to God at all costs. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again we thank You for Your Word. Thank You, God, that You have given us these instructions for life, Lord. You have not left us alone. You have given us of your Holy Spirit who teaches us, who comforts us, who counsels us, who leads and guides us through this life. And we are always challenged from your word, Lord, to change the way we live and to remember you and to humble ourselves and to seek you above all else. God, we often pray your will be done, but in our minds we want our will to be done. We often speak words from our mouths that say we are followers of yours, but yet we're making our own plans and charting our own course through this life. God, I pray that you will continue to work within us, that we will continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of you, that, Lord, that you would continue to allow 
humility to reign in our lives, that we would humble ourselves, that you would lift us up, God, that we would be in the place where you want us to be, that we would be doing in this life what you want us to do. We see such a good example of this in Joseph's life, Lord. It didn't work out quite the way he probably thought it would, but it worked out the way you needed it to. And I pray that for each and every one of our lives, Lord. May your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.